Good morning and happy Resurrection Day 2023. The day that we receive the goodness of the glory of God and the miraculousness of the resurrection, the overcoming of death, the overcoming of sin. Today is the day that the women went and looked for Jesus in the tomb with the spices that they had prepared, but they found that tomb empty. The stone had been rolled away. The angels asked them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. So today let's go back and look at our previous discussion and the details of this day and how it affects the whole entire earth and everyone in it. Welcome to the Joy in the Word podcast. Today is Resurrection Day. The greatest gift that we could have ever been given has been given to us today. There's so much that I would love to say and discuss and talk about, but there's just no way that I could ever do justice to what this day means in my life and all of our lives. So to begin with, we know that the resurrection was foreshadowed with the Passover. The book of Exodus chapter 12 tells us about the Passover, and we just now got over this in great detail. But what we want to recall is that the blood of the Lamb was put over the door frames of the Israelites and that the spirit of death passed over them when it saw the blood. Although the firstborn of every Egyptian, from Pharaoh himself to the lowest slave, lost their life, none of the Israelites died. Their sons didn't die because the blood of the Lamb covered them. So this is obviously why Jesus overcame death for us during the Passover. So what was the first thing that happened during that week? We know that to be called Palm Sunday. It is also called the triumphal entry. If you'll go to Luke chapter 19, you can read what Jesus says in verse 30. He's telling his disciples to go ahead of him. He says, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just tell him, the Lord needs it. It says those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owner said, why are you untying the colt? And they replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, the people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully praising God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. And they said, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. So the first thing I want to look at there is the cult that had never been ridden. It tells us in Zechariah, the prophet, and this is about 500 years before Jesus came to the earth. It says in verse 9, See, your King comes to you righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now what that means is exactly what Jesus had said, that you will find a colt that no one has ever ridden. And Zechariah told us that he would be riding on it, full of salvation. Then in regard to them shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. If we read that same part of the story in the Gospel of John, it tells us that they actually took palm branches at that time and went out to meet him and shouted that. 
Now, palm branches were something that represented victory to them. And clearly, they were foreshadowing the victory of the Lord over death. And that is why we call last Sunday Palm Sunday, because they greeted him while riding on a donkey in the same way that Zechariah prophesied, with palm branches. Now, we know that on Thursday, the day prior to his death, that Jesus and his disciples had what is called the Last Supper. It has also been called the Lord's Supper. We can read about it in Matthew chapter 26 if we pick up in verse 26. It says, While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So he basically tells them, this is my body that's going to be broken for you. And this is my blood, which will be poured out for you. Now we've talked in great detail in the old covenant about blood. If we flip ahead to Hebrews chapter 9, we can talk more in depth about the specific blood of Christ. It says that when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made, that is to say, not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood. We know from verse 15 that it says, For this reason Christ is the mediator of a new covenant. We know it says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And then, according to Hebrews chapter 10, it said that the law was only a shadow of the good things that are coming. It says it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into this world, he said, Sacrifice an offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. He went on to say, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will. Oh God. Then it says in verse 10, by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. So that's why in regard to the last supper in Luke chapter 22, verse 20, Jesus says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Now, as we move on in chapter 22, we get to the part where Jesus prays on the Mount of Olives. While here, he withdrew himself about a stone's throw beyond his disciples. He knelt down and he prayed. And he says in verse 42, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. So the reality of this prayer is this. No matter what the outcome, he trusted his father with his life. He trusted his father with the outcome. And he said, it doesn't even matter what my will is. Let your will be done. It goes on to say in verse 44, the severity of this prayer, the severity of the situation that Jesus understood himself to be in. It says, being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Now, the next thing that happens is Judas Iscariot, one of the 12, it says, was leading a crowd towards them. We know from the beginning of verse 22 that he actually allowed the devil himself to enter his body. It says in verse 3, Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, who was one of the twelve. 
So he approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? One of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. Now we know from the Gospel of John that that was Simon Peter that cut off the man's ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. He touched the man's ear and healed him. Now, even in the midst of Jesus being arrested, he is performing miracles. He is healing the unbeliever. He is actually healing a man who came to arrest him. So after he is arrested, Jesus actually stands before Pilate. If we pick up in Matthew chapter 27, verse 11, it says, Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replied, Yes, it is as you say. Now the chief priests and elders accused Jesus of all kinds of things, and he didn't respond. Pilate said, Do you hear the testimony they bring against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now, it was the governor's custom at the feast to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? When Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent this message, Don't have anything to do with that innocent man. I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Pilate asked several times, trying to get them to release Jesus. But each time they shouted louder and louder, Crucify him! So when Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. He said, I am innocent of this man's blood. It is your responsibility. And the people answered, Let his blood be on us and our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, and he had Jesus flogged before being handed over to be crucified. So before we move on from here, let's talk about Barabbas. You in effect have two men standing before the crowd, both guilty unto death. One of them can be set free. They're allowed to choose. So there was a guilty man and an innocent man. And the innocent man is the one that was chosen to pay the price. Now what's interesting about the guilty man is his name was Barabbas. And if you break that down, it actually says Bar Abba, which literally means son of the father. And so Jesus, who is the son of the father, took the place of Barabbas, whose name means son of the father who actually was a representation of us all, because in effect, we are all guilty. And Jesus, the innocent man, took our place on that day. Now, as we move on to the crucifixion, let's pick up in Luke chapter 23. If we pick up in verse 26, it says, As they led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. Before that, Jesus had been carrying his own cross. Now let's pick up in verse 32. It says, Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. It says, When they came to the place called the Skull, which is also called Golgotha, which is also in Latin a word called Calvaria, 
which is where we get our word Calvary. So when they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And then the soldiers divided up his clothes by casting lots. This actually fulfills something that was spoken about in Psalm 22, part of verse 16, 17, and 18. It says, They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. Back in Luke chapter 23 now, verse 35 says, The people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said he saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, the Chosen One. The soldiers also mocked him and offered him wine vinegar and said, If you're the king of the Jews, then save yourself. There was a written notice above him, which read, This is the king of the Jews. You may have seen a depiction of Jesus on the cross, and above it, you may have seen the inscription that says I-N-R-I. Now that's Latin. In Latin, there's no J's, they write I. So what that means is Jesus of Nazareth, I-N, R is Rex, and then I is of the Jews. So again, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Now this is obviously true, but in this instance, they did it to mock him. One of the criminals beside him mocked him as well and said, Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence? We are punished justly. We are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. Now it was about the sixth hour and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. For the sun stopped shining. Now, the light of the world left the world. And so literally the earth was dark. For it says three hours from the sixth hour until the ninth hour. And then it says the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he said this, he breathed his last. So in regard to the curtain being torn in two from top to bottom, remember we talked about in Exodus that that was the curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place. It was the thing that kept people separate from the presence of God. And here Jesus tore it in two with his death to symbolize the fact that that death broke the barrier that separated us from the presence of God. And now there is no separation. Now, moving on to verse 50, we look at what happens during Jesus' burial. It says, There was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, who was a good and upright man, who had not consented to their decision and action. It says that he was waiting for the kingdom of God. So he went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body, and he took it down and wrapped it in linen cloth and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock. It was one where no one had yet been laid. Now it's preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. So preparation day, preparing for the day of rest, which was Saturday. It says preparation day, and here he is preparing Jesus' body for the tomb. 
It says the women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. They went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. Then moving on to chapter 24, it says on the first day of the week, and that's Sunday, the first day of the week. Very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. The men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. The women ran back and told the disciples everything that had happened, but they were confused and didn't understand. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. He bent over and saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. He went away wondering what had happened. And then two men were walking on a road to Emmaus. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened, and as they talked, Jesus himself came up and walked with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Jesus asked them what they were talking about, and they said, We're talking about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but did not find his body. They came and told us they had seen a vision of angels who had said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it, just as the women said, but they did not see him. And then Jesus said, How foolish are you and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he then explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. It gives us a summary here that Jesus is explaining everything that's ever been said about him through the prophets. How I would love to know exactly what he said about the prophets about Moses, about everything that was spoken about him concerning himself. Jesus later sat down to eat with these two men. As he took bread to give thanks, their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. So they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and those assembled with them and told them everything that happened. And they said, it is true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two of them told what happened along the way and how Jesus was recognized by them. While they were still talking, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace be with you. He went on to tell them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He said, This is what was written when it said the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses to these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with the power from on high. 
And of course here Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit that will come on Pentecost. Now the scriptures that Jesus was quoting there were from Psalms 22 and from Isaiah 53. Let's flip now to Isaiah 53 and see what it says about Jesus. It says, He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. It says the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, though he had done no violence nor was any deceit in his mouth. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. It says that he will bear our iniquities. It says he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Now Isaiah wrote this about 700 years before Jesus was on this earth. And yet he was able to say things like he was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. And he recognized that we would be healed by his stripes. So not only does his death give us eternal life, but his stripes, his wounds, his piercings, him being crushed gives us healing. We are healed by the weight that he bore and the suffering that he endured. So there just isn't any way that I could ever convey with enough words or enough depth or enough meaning or enough explanation, the weight of what today represents, the day that Jesus overcame death for you, for me, and for all of us. There's not enough ways to reference the the scriptures that the prophets spoke, that Moses spoke, that are written in the Psalms. There's too many of them because the entire Old Testament is the foreshadowing of Jesus to come and who he is in our life, and how he overcame death for us, and gave us life, life more abundantly, and eternal life. So I can't possibly give enough references. I can't possibly do this justice. All I can tell you is the impact that his life has had on my own life. Now before I close, I want to talk quickly about why Resurrection Day doesn't always fall the way that it should in regard to Passover. Passover is actually based on a Jewish calendar that begins either in late September or early October. This starts with Rosh Hashanah. Now, our calendar is based on the solar year, but the Jewish calendar is actually based on 12 months based on the moon, and they're usually 29 to 30 days long. All of this information is available on multiple websites if you Google information about how to determine the date of Passover. So the seventh month in a normal Jewish calendar is actually a month that's called Nisan, and Passover is celebrated on the 14th day of Nisan during the time of the full moon. And what that means is that it may or may not fall on a Sunday, which is the day that Jesus overcame death, the first day. Now our calendar is once again based on the sun, as our planet Earth takes 365 days to go around the sun. 
but Resurrection Day is actually observed the first Sunday after the full moon that comes on or after a vernal equinox. A vernal equinox simply means the first day of spring. In regard to the calendar this year, that puts Resurrection Day on April 17th, even though that's technically at the beginning of the Passover, and Passover does not end this year until April 23rd. And Jesus, of course, overcame death and was resurrected at the end of Passover. One last thing that I want to mention is actually the word Easter. Now, there's a lot of discussion, and you can look this up on the internet as well, as to the origin of that word. Some people say that it has to do with the word east, which is where the sun rises, of course, and this being a symbol of springtime and new life or fertility. This is where you get other viewpoints of that word and its origin in regard to fertility. There was a pagan goddess that they called Ishtar, which sounds very similar to the word Easter. Nevertheless, it was a fertility goddess, and it was about the proliferation of life. And so one of the things that happens on Resurrection Day is that people celebrate the proliferation of life, a lot of times through rabbits who are known to be fertile, and eggs, which are also a symbol of fertility. Nevertheless, if we use the word in regard to East, or if we use the word in regard to a pagan fertility goddess, Both cases actually take away from what Jesus did for us and what we are actually celebrating, which is the resurrection of his life, his life in exchange for ours. And so that is why I call the day Resurrection Day, because that's truly what happened today. Jesus' life was given for mine, and then he overcame death for me. He is the resurrection and the life.